Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. We're going to be looking at our gospel text this evening by considering the real problem, the right presumption, and the radical provision. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn back to John chapter 4. Many of you know that my dad uh, got me a vintage car a while back. It was one of those gifts that was so touching and generous and also like, wow, this is going to cost me a lot of money to figure out how to keep it driving. He took it for a test drive and everything seemed to be fine, but as he was taking it over to a friend's house to give it one more once over, it just completely broke down and he couldn't get anywhere. So they had it towed, took it over to his friends, 
We tried to inspect a few things and it seemed like, wow, the entire engine is shot. We're going to have to get a new engine and start all the way over. Well, it turns out that the real problem was that the gas line had snapped. The engine seemed worthless because it wouldn't respond to the driver, but once the connection was restored, it all worked fine until a couple weeks ago when the gas line snapped again as I was going down the road, uh, and then I had to have it towed again. Um, C'est la vie. In John's setup of this story of the woman at the well, there are lots of options vying for our attention as the real problem. There's racial tension. Jews hated Samaritans for being an embodied reminder of past disobedience. The descendants of Jews who had intermarried with the pagans around them. There's gender tension. Men wouldn't normally talk to women they didn't know in this culture. There's religious tension. Jews and Samaritans disagreed about what was required of them religiously, to the point that the Jews considered what the Samaritans were doing to be total idolatry. And there's moral tension. This woman, likely more of a victim than a perpetrator, has bounced from husband to husband and is now sleeping with another woman's husband. The emphasis in the original language is the one you have now is not your husband, he's saying to her. So what's the real problem? In this account, Jesus, with great gentleness, keeps pushing this woman past the surface into the problem that lies behind ethnic and sexual inequality, moral turpitude, and religious infighting. The real problem is a problem of worship which is to say it's a problem of life. It's what Jeremiah the, the prophet declares, thus saith the Lord, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug cisterns, broken cisterns for themselves that cannot hold water. You see, the lie that was told to humanity in the garden is the same lie that gets told today all the way down through the ages, and it's this, that God wants nothing more than to squash your fun because he's a selfish, demanding tyrant. And we've all bought the lie in one way or another. And in so doing, we have turned our back on the source of life and refreshment and have spent all of our days trying to hold on to stagnant bog water with hands that may as well be a sieve. As my friend Kendrick Lamar once said, the truth will set you free, so to me, be completely honest, you're dying of thirst. You're dying of thirst. You see, the word picture of God being living water is getting at the concept of worship. As you've heard me say time and time again in the words of David Foster Wallace, everybody worships. You don't get a choice about that. You only get to choose what you're going to worship. And in worshiping anything other than God, you are trying to find life and refreshment from those last few drops of dirty, bog, sewage water that haven't already slipped out of you. I mean, pick your poison. Are you seeking life by getting approval from other people? You will never feel free to truly be yourself. You will always be hedging, shading, hiding, and it will never be enough. You will have to ring people out in an attempt to get enough approval out of them. 
Are you looking for security in possessions, money, career? In the absolute best case scenario, you are trading the only thing you have, which is time, to accumulate more and more things that you can't take with you. And when your security blanket gets taken away, you will either lash out or disintegrate. Trying to find life and refreshment apart from God is like being lost at sea, dying of thirst, and consuming salt water over and over, making yourself thirstier and thirstier and thirstier. This is what Paul is actually getting at in the New Testament lesson that we heard this evening. The real problem is that we have bought the lie that God is a tyrant and have set about making our own meaning, digging our own wells and getting nowhere. The problem is that all of us, every single one of us, have worshipped ourselves rather than the Creator. So what's the way out? My kids eat all the time. I mean, like, all the time. That's why we only have two of them. I can't afford any more. One of the things that we're working on them, uh, with them about is how to ask properly, you know, with a little bit of humility and maybe some gratitude in there, but it's usually just, I want a snack. And they just presume that we exist, mostly their mother, exists to get them whatever they need. Now, granted, yelling, I want snack, is a huge step up from what babies do when they don't have language, and then they just really cry and scream until they get snack, right? This childish presumption, though, it, it may not work to keep that up in polite society, is actually very, very instructive for us as we try to understand how we get out of the, uh, the mess that we've put ourselves in. How do we get out of this hamster wheel that we've chained ourselves to? On our end, it's remarkably simple, though a bit outrageous. It's having the right presumption. Look at the last interaction that we saw Jesus having. If you were with us last week, we saw Nicodemus come and talk with Christ. And Nicodemus had it all together. He had the right gender, the right race, the right religion, the right career, the right moral record. And yet Jesus says to him, you must be born again from above by water and spirit. It didn't do him any good. Here, Jesus is talking with a morally dubious Samaritan woman, which is like a cultural trifecta of impotence. She has no power, no record, no cultural capital to get out of her thirstiness. She's here far from her own village getting water in the heat of the day because she's so destitute culturally, she can't even be around the other women of her own village. But Jesus says to her, and again, in the original language, he says, if you knew the free gift, free gift, that's what we call a tautology, right? It's like saying a hot day in Phoenix or a bad red hot chili peppers song. It just means the same thing. All right, that's pretty good. Thank you. If you knew the free gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, would you please give me a drink? You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. What does Jesus tell her that she needs to do? Ask. It's that simple. 
ask. Notice how this woman is a little crusty on the edges. She bites back. Oh, yeah? How are you even going to get the water when you don't have a bucket? You just asked me for help. Do you think that you're actually better than our father Jacob? Jesus doesn't get sidetracked. He just keeps after her with gentleness, and he tells her, the water I give will become a spring of water welling up inside the person who drinks unto eternal life. All right, she says, gimme. I want snack. And Jesus, with the skill and gentleness of a surgeon, cuts right to the core of her sin and pain. Go call your husband, he says. Jesus, the light of the world, shines directly into this woman's self-identity, but she's practiced, so she dodges. I have no husband. Jesus reveals the depth of his knowledge of her because he is the spirit-filled prophet, greater than Moses. The closeness with which he has studied her heart and life, but he does so wrapping it in compliments. Nicely done, he says. And I think he's being sincere. You've spoken the truth. You haven't a husband. You've had five. And the one you have now is not your husband. So she dodges again. Hey, why don't we get into a theological argument, which, by the way, is one of the best ways I know of to avoid your own brokenness and pain. Get into a theological argument. But from there, Jesus leads her right back to the real problem, as we've seen. We're going to circle back in a moment, but for now, I want you to see the way that this woman goes about asking is a mixed bag. She is still locked, like Nicodemus, in the surface of things. She's still dodging, evading, but she's starting to evade half-heartedly the light of Christ. But Jesus tells her to ask, and she asks. Even misunderstanding, even with bad intentions, the heat of the light of the world makes her break out in a sweat, but she's starting to want life more than the false security of darkness. So what is it that Jesus is promising here? What is he trying to get this woman to long for and ask for? And what does it have to do with their weird theological sidestep? We know that it's not just water in the well, right? That's what she thinks at first. Oh, great, I would never have to come back to this place. But is he just talking about being fulfilled? About finding some sort of meaning in the world? Actually, it's a provision far more radical. If we were to keep reading in John's Gospel, in John chapter 7, Jesus is at the Feast of Booths, and we're told this, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of flowing water will flow within them. And then John writes an explanatory note. He says, By this... He meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. The free gift of God, which is as unattainable as a new birth from above, is God himself. It's the Spirit. 
It's living, capital L, water, capital W. The radical nature of this provision is that just as all of Nicodemus' striving and working could not bring about a new birth from above, so the Samaritan woman's wrongness is not enough to keep her from receiving because it is a free gift. All that is needed is that she ask, even if she does it poorly, just like us. This isn't just about her finding personal fulfillment. This is about her being brought into the arena of true worship. It's about being given life in the Father through the Spirit and the Son. When Jesus tells her that those who worship the Father will do so in spirit and truth, he is not saying that worship is going to be this internal, authentic experience that you can just sort of close your eyes and feel. That's not what it means to worship God in spirit and truth. What he's saying is that the only way to worship the Father, to be reconnected to life, or as in his conversation with Nicodemus, to enter the kingdom of heaven, is to do so in spirit, capital S, and truth, capital T. The one who is here speaking will later call himself the way, the truth, and the life. You worship the Father by being in the Spirit and the Son. Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians that Christ came preaching peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, that is Christ, we have access in one Spirit to the Father. The way back to true life, the solution to this deathly thirst that we all have, is to be given the Spirit who is living water and to be given the Son who is the bread of heaven through whom we have been given access to the Father. Did you catch that? As Jesus is talking to this woman who is utterly different than him in every way, the very first time in John's Gospel that Christ refers to God as Father is when he's talking to this woman. He just sort of slips it in. You're going to become part of the family, is what he's telling her. So the Samaritan woman goes and tells her entire village about what she's discovered. Tradition tells us that this woman, named by the church as Saint Fotina, was eventually martyred for preaching the gospel. She was called the Apostle to the Apostles. Truly, the living water of the Spirit became a spring inside her, welling up to eternal life. Friends, I don't know where you have been this past week. Some of you may be whirling in your thoughts even now about how you're going to go out this week and find water for yourself by meeting the right people, or behaving the right way, or avoiding the wrong thing. Some of you may have woken up this morning feeling completely depleted, dried out, and empty, asking how you are supposed to go on loving your children, or loving your neighbors, or loving your parents, when you feel exhausted and empty. Some of you may be weighed down with shame, and you can see the edge of the light moving toward you, and you're trying to hide away so that no one knows 
about the thing you've been trying to quit for years, about the secret that's been gnawing at you, about the change that you have been longing to make but never really able to grab onto. Robert Capon once said, we spend our lives invoking upon ourselves imagined necessities. Imagined necessities, creating God in the image of our own fears. And all the while, he is beating us over the head with the balloon of grace. Close your eyes and picture it. He is beating us over the head with the balloon of grace and the styrofoam baseball bat of a vindicating judgment. The history of salvation is slapstick all the way, right up to and including the end. In these next moments of silence, I invite you, wherever you find yourself this evening, to simply ask. Just ask. Stop trying to clean yourself up. Stop trying to ask with a bunch of flowery politeness. Ask with presumption. Ask with half-right intentions. Ask with hints of bitterness or anger. Ask however you have to. Just don't not ask. The Father didn't send the Spirit and the Son to whisper in your ear, hey, you should really try to make things right. He sent the Son and the Spirit to make you right. To make you right. The original text says the Father also is seeking worshipers. He sends the Son and the Spirit, but God is not just sitting back waiting for you to come find him. The Father also is seeking worshipers. You are being pursued in this moment, whether you believe it or not, by the Good Shepherd. And if there is even a hint of faith, just a spark, ask. Stop scrubbing, stop fearing, stop talking. Hear the invitation of God himself to you in the words of Isaiah the prophet. Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.